Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Rehearsal dinner. Oh. Yeah, dude. <laughs> cool. Revelation chapter three. <coughs> Lord, we just thank you, God, that your word will not return to you void. Lord, we thank you that, Father, it instructs us, it guides us. Lord, it just, it brings us life. Lord, and only you have those words. Only you've authored those words. And Lord, we just proclaim you uh, full authority over this place, over this study, over our lives, Lord. We dethrone ourselves and enthrone you, Lord. And Lord, may you just be glorified tonight, Lord. You know exactly what I'm going through, and we know, Father, that you're going to just prove yourself strong once again. So, Lord, we thank you, and um, ask that you bless this time. In Jesus' name. So, Church of Sardis, chapter 3. We only got six verses today, so try not to go too long, even though you got 11 pages of notes, <laughs> which is out of the norm. Um, Sardis was located in Asia Minor. It was um, a capital of Lydia, and it was one of like um, the intersections of commerce. Like you had all these roads, and they were going different places, and they all had to come through Sardis. So obviously, it was wealthy. It was known for its easy money, easy come, easy go. It was kind of like to compare to us now, uh, the dot com industry. You know, we dot com industry um, started up and you had the Silicon Valley and how everybody moved there and everything there was brand new. Everything there was like all the buildings, all the houses, everything was brand new. And the money was just coming in and people were just there chilling, you know, just basking in all the money as the money came in. And um, so with this city, now, uh, to this day, it's just a v villages sitting on top of ruins. It's villages that are just over the top of this, um, just all this, this pile of rubbish that just all, like, m you know, burned away. It, it was a great city once. It was full of money, but along with money, what happened? Apathy came in. Um, luxury followed by immorality, you know, just loose living all day long. You know, they had nothing else to do but just reap the benefits of their great investments, of all the things that the stocks that they have, had invested in, you know, just to reap all those benefits. And to the Christians um, here at Sardis, it seemed as though money became more important than following Jesus. It became more attractive. It became um, a bigger pleasure. It, be, it became just a, a, a better thing, the better road to take than to follow the Lord. And here is where the, the temple of Sibylle, um, you know, this temple that was erected there in that city, it was where a lot of sexual immorality, sexual favors towards this temple took place. And there was a lot of impurity 
And um, throughout all the, throughout this, even this, if this temple was erected there, there was still at the end of this letter, Jesus states, there's those who have not defiled their garments. There are those, there are those who stayed pure. There are those who remained in me. And that's what we have to grasp today. We, that's such importance there, though there were few, the few faithful there, you know, is something for us to, of great importance to us. Because no matter what happens, if we're the last, if this group, if this two, four, six, nine of us were the only faithful ones in our church, the Lord had such a great promise just for those nine. You know, we know that we're, we're involved in a bigger ministry here and, you know, we see that there's people that are, you know, there's more than, more than that here that are faithful. But in this church, there was few that were faithful. So verse 1, it starts off, um, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. To the pastor, to the teacher, to the messenger, to the leadership, Jesus writes, you know, he who has the seven spirits of God, he who has the seven stars in his hand, the seven stars are what? Seven stars in, are the, the um, angels of the churches, the leaders of the churches. And we, we see that Jesus, to this church, like to every church, as he's talking to them, as he's writing to them, he states the very fact that they need to hold on to. And to these guys, he says, hey, you know what? I'm the one who goes around. And I'm the one who trims the wick, and I'm the one who pours more oil, and I'm the one who quenches the flame. So I have authority. I am the senior pastor. I am the head of this church. You guys need to simmer down. You know, pretty much saying, dude, you, you guys think you guys have authority, and, and you're saying that you have a lie. You're, you're saying that you're alive. You're saying that you have a reputation. You're saying that you have a status. You know, you have a title. Yeah, you're a pastor, but yet you are dead. It's like, man, what what a humbling letter, you know, to receive. You know, if if somebody came up to me and was like, dude, you know, you think you're dope. You think you, you have all this stuff. You think you're gifted. Dude, you're dead in your sin. You, you don't even know who Jesus is. You're not being Jesus to your people. You're not being Jesus to your congregation. You're not serving them. You're coming to be served, not to serve the people. Imagine hearing that. It's just it's so awakening to us. The seven spirits, you know, we, it's, it's a sevenfold of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about this in um, the second study we did. Um, it's a sketch of the promise of the Holy Spirit, but a more clear definition of the, of the, of the spirit that was going to rest upon Jesus when he came up out of the water as John, J the B, John the Baptist, you know, baptized him, you know, he, came up out of the water and there was a spirit that descended upon him and rested upon him. And it's in Isaiah chapter 11. So I'm going to turn there, read it off for you guys. Isaiah chapter 11. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom is one, uh, the spirit of understanding two, the spirit of counsel three, and might four, knowledge five, and the fear of the Lord, six. And his delight is in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with his breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. 
righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. So we see here, I didn't know him off, but I forgot the spirit of the Lord, which was seven. So we see here that these are the seven, the, the manifold, the seven folds of the spirit, the seven characteristics that this spirit has. And the fact that it rested upon, it was said in Isaiah, the book that was most quoted by Jesus, by the way, it's that fold of the spirit that rested upon him. It was what he, that, that was a seal. It was what was expected of the Messiah to have these seven characteristics. As Jesus reminds the church, he says, not only is he the one whom the seven characteristics of, of the Spirit rest upon, but he is a promise giver. As Jesus says, I have to go. Why do I have to go? Then I might impart to you the Spirit. He says, not only that, but I'm not only am I who the Spirit rests upon, but now I'm going to bestow it upon you that you may have strength, that you may have power, that you can do miracles, that you may be used by me. And that is the the guarantee that, that was what the spirit was meant for it was so that we can now partake in the work of jesus so he says he knows their works you know he knows what they're striving for he knows what their agenda was he knows what they were investing in their doctrine and <clears throat> it's just good to see that you know he knew everything about his bride you know i have my buddy here dan he He's going to get married in a couple, what, a couple weeks? A couple weeks. And right now, I'm expecting if I ask Dan something, he better know everything about his bride. Why? Because Jesus knows everything about his bride. Nothing is hidden from him. He knows the pastors. He knows the elders. He knows everybody. He's even raised those people up. He knows every crease. He knows every nook and cranny of his church. Just like that, I'm supposed to know, just like how that's a picture of Jesus and his authority over his church and his knowledge over his church. So to us, husbands, you know, and you guys that are, are, are soon to be married, you know, I'm supposed to know that my wife, I know, I'm supposed to know everything about her. I'm supposed to know every single, there, there is no secret that lies between us. There's no secret. There's nothing that she has or she's going to have that is hidden from me because I'm supposed to know it all, you know, and I'm supposed to. And, and it's not like, you know, I'm just like, oh, well, she can do whatever she wants. Like Katie today asked me, where's your wife? And I'm like, she's at work. She's on her way. Where is she? I'm like, I don't know. You know, <laughs> she's on the 405 somewhere, you know. But in her inner being, the things that she struggles with, the things that are hindering her, the things that hurt her feelings, like I should know how to minister to those parts. I should know as a husband, as Jesus is to his church, as he ministers to his church, me as a husband should be able to minister to my wife in that sort of way. Now on top of that, we see his omniscience as he directs and he guides his church as, you know, for spiritual success. It's not like Jesus is, you know, setting up his church for failure. It's not like Jesus is leaving it alone and saying, you know what? Hey, leaders, pastors, you guys have board meetings. You guys move your money around, do whatever you wish. You know, hopefully in the end it'll pay off. It'll bring dividends. Maybe you'll get a bigger tithe out of the people if you do it this way, if you get these kind of buckets, if you get, you know, do two songs instead of one for the tithe offering. No. It's not like that. Jesus 
is guiding them. He's instructing the people. It's like, dude, in the Old Testament, all like the Levitical priesthood, just everything, all the instructions he gave on his on the Ark of the Covenant, all the instructions he gave for tithing. And Nehemiah, you know, as as he instructs him, he's like, first, let's fix the innermost part of man. Second, let's fix your businesses. Third, let's fix your 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 worshiping to God, your giving to God. It's so awesome how the Lord just makes everything so clear and so direct. Because he is a God of order. You know, we always we always say that and you know we really don't really inspect it. You know, we don't really partake of it. You know, he's he is a God of order. And he's like he's I call him the jefe, you know. He's he's my jefe. Every time uh, you know, like in, in Mexico, you know, your dad, you call him your boss. Why? Because he's the one who puts you to work when you're six years old, seven years old, you know, and he's the boss. Just like that, Jesus is my jefe. I, I have to respond to him. And, you know, sometimes when um, to this church, to us, first of all, sometimes we don't want to do everything that he's asking us to do. And we want to quit. You know, some people like in this church, they weren't in it for the long run. They were they weren't in it for 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 his gain. They wanted to quit. They wanted to turn in their two weeks notice. They wanted to call HR and maybe get some kind of compensation from other gods. If you get my drift, they wanted to call human resources and be like, hey, my boss, you know, he's making me do things that I don't want to do. This church wanted to quit on Jesus. There was no life left in this church. But Jesus, being about his father's business, being the greatest you know, CEO, Jesus, God entrusted Jesus his business, his business of saving souls. Not monetary, but spiritually speaking. He said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you all the tools for you to go down and be sinless. You endure. You flee from all temptation. You just prove to them that it can be done. And then you're going to go to the cross. It's like you're going to prove to them that you're perfect, you're sinless, you're spotless, but then you're going to die? And Jesus in his, in his, uh, and God in his omniscience is just like, you know what? It's, it, some people are still going to turn away. You're going to go down there, you're going to prove yourself, and they're not going to listen to you. But don't worry. What did he say? You know, they're not, it's not because they're not listening to you. It's because they're not opening their hearts to me and what I have for them. And, you know, sometimes we feel that way. We, we see that, you know, we're, um, we want to quit. We wanna just, I, I've probably said to my wife two or three times, I want to quit ministry. I'm tired of getting my heart broken. I'm tired of empty promises. I'm tired of just all this drama going on. You know, nothing. It's not like I was, I was doing bad stuff. It's just drama. These things were happening. I just want to quit. I want to be, I'm over it. I just want to be a pew potato. I've said that literally out of my words. And, it, and here I am, like, you know, preaching to the choir. You know, it's like, God, even though I wanted to quit, even though I wanted to turn in my two weeks, even though I, I was done with the ministry, here you are in your grace and in your mercy, and you've taught me, a new thing you've taught me to hold on to what you have for me and to really follow after the calling that you have on my life and he says you know to these pastors he's like dude you know what 
there's people in your church that are more faithful than you are. He says, although, you know, your reputation and your status and your title and says that you're alive, you have fallen short. You have played the harlot. You're still looking for a husband like Hosea. And you have not found them because you're not looking after me. You know, you look, the church looked beautiful. The church was adorned with the beauty of this world. Yet, it still had no life. People would look at this church and be like, dude, you guys are awesome. Look how, you guys look good. You know, you guys look like, you guys are super Christians. You guys look like, you know, you're dressing really good. Your, your church looks beautiful. And they're like, yeah, bring it on. Give me more. Tell me more, you know. And, but they knew that they had no life in them. And Jesus calls them out on it. You know, he says, I know your works and I know that people say you're great. But you are as dead as the carved images of the Old Testament. You are dead as all those sacrifices, the blood and bulls and goats after my son. You are dead as that. That's nothing. It's nullified. There's nothing in that. The blood of bulls and goats cannot cure you. The blood of bulls and goats cannot satisfy, cannot be the propitiation for the world. And just like that, you know, he, he says this to them, and the church still didn't listen. The, the leaders, even though they heard this, they still didn't listen. Why? Because there's no church there anymore. They, it's done. Like, there's no church there. There's villages, but there's no church. You know, they had no strength. They had no fight. They, they couldn't go on. And they had no desire to pursue the things of God. They, they had no inclination to follow Jesus and be about his business. It wasn't attractive to them. It wasn't pleasurable to them. It wasn't going to reap any benefits in their aspect. It wasn't going to bring more money. You know, when the money slowly started coming, you know, coming in, you know, when, when all of a sudden the, econ uh, the economy started just diving down in this city, you know, they just were like, no, I'm just going to go to another city and find wealth somewhere else. You know, and just think about it, like, when Jesus had went to the cross for them, when he had despised the shame for them, when he just endured everything, and the church still looked at all these things that Jesus had done for them, they put it on the balances and were like, no. That breaks, dude, the things that break his heart, that's like, come on, it's like, you sent your son, he died, and then it's still not worth it. It's still not worth it to follow him. You know, in the uh, in um, the book of Nehemiah, we're studying with the little kids. Two percent um, of the Jews who wanted to experience the fullness of Yahweh, the, the fullness of God. Two percent. Those are the ones that went into Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. Two percent. The kids got this. The kids are like, I told them, I was like, hey, check it out. I said, you know, Phoebe, what is your favorite color Skittle? She's like, oh, I like red. I was like, what's your, what's, you know, the worst one? She's like, grape. I hate grape. I was typical. No, none of us like grape. I don't like grape jelly beans either. You know, and she's like, I was like, imagine if, if you had a bag full of grape Skittles. Just you had a hundred Skittles and 98 of them were grape and two of them were orange. Wouldn't you just love those two little Skittles? You wouldn't even want to eat them. And she's like, yeah, no way. I would rather keep them like for dessert or keep them for later. You know, she's a, she got it. 
you know, and it's like these 2% of, of God's people were the ones that wanted to partake in the rebuilding of the city. And then they go in in chapter 6 and they finish building the wall. In chapter 7, Ezra names off the people that are in the city. And then they, um, they actually start reading off the law. And they start reading off the law and all of a sudden they start realizing, wait a second. Dude, we're guilty. We are just a rebellious people. We are so sinful. And then in chapter 9, what happens? Dude, they just start confessing before the Lord. Dude, it's so crazy. Just They start reading off the history. The history of everything that's happened from Abraham to that day. And they just start reading and reading and reading. And they, they you hear the story, the, how the rebellious they were. And then it's like, I highlighted some of the promises. It says, but you, you know... I'll read from verse 16. It says, But they and their fathers acted proudly. They hardened their necks and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. But they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. And it just keeps saying that. It says, and yet your manifold, in your manifold mercies, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. And then it goes on to say, you know, the, the, the pillar of cloud uh, did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way they should go. You also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. It's like throughout this, they, and it just keeps going. Like, they, you did all this, but God, you did all this, but God. And it's like, dude, the Lord is so faithful to show himself to them. And they go and they, they start confessing their sins. And they're just like, Lord, we, we, we're sorry. Dude, do you guys know the victory of confession? Just, we, we've all, we all experienced it last Sunday when people read off their, their testimonies. Dude, they were powerful. And I'm sure that the people that read off their testimonies felt like this guilt, this this weight that was on them. Just they've never shared with anybody. I just could feel it rising from them. I could even feel it rising from them. And you know what? The next day, I even shared my testimony to my sister. She never knew the things that I had gone through. And I just sat there and read from a piece of paper. It's not like I was just like sharing out of my heart. I was literally just reading from my, a piece of paper, and she was in tears. She didn't know the stuff that I struggled with. She didn't know any of this stuff, and it broke her down. You know, it's just the freedom that we get, the victory that we get. And when we confess our sins, dude, Satan is defeated because Satan wants to keep us in, in, keep that little part of our, of our mind. He wants to keep that little part of our heart, and he wants to hold on to it. He doesn't want to let it go. He wants you to be in guilt. He wants you to, to, to be in shame. He wants you to feel disqualified. Why? Because then you don't cling to the cross. Because then you don't look at the sacrifice and you're not like, you're, you're, you don't want to partake of it. You're like, Lord, I feel so disqualified. I don't even want to look at the cross right now. Dude, it sets us free. And the thing is, if, if we just proclaim the beautiful grace, if we just seriously hold on to that grace that cost the Lord his son, 
man, it's, it's, we're keeping it real with God. We're saying, Lord, you, you, I'm naked before you. I'm nude. Look at my heart. Come like the Smithville song. Search, search my heart. The psalm. Search my heart, Lord. Come, find something in me that I need to get rid of, that I may have a better relationship with you, that I may have a better walk with you, that I may be free from all this sin and this weight and just this, these things that are holding me back from loving you more. Come, show me, Lord. Show me these things. And dude, it's so freeing. You know, and although the majority of this church was dead, uh, Jesus in his mercy and his compassion still writes to them this letter. And he says, repent. Verse 2. Let's turn. Um, verse 2, it says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Don't trip out on this verse. He says, be watchful. He says, observe the time. He said, look at the things surrounding you. And don't for a minute, don't for a minute think that my words not, is going to return void to me. Don't think for a minute that my promises are not for you. He says, be watchful. Look at the things that are going on around you. And he says, strengthen the things that remain. He says, those things that you're doing right, the things that, you know, that, that are good before me, strengthen those things. Keep praying to these faithful people. Keep praying, he says. Be a prayerful people to those people that have not defiled their garments. He says, you keep doing the good thing. And he says, you know, among all this bad stuff, among all the, the, the people, the 98 that were being bad, there was, there's this 2% of people that were doing good. There was something that the saints of Sardis needed to hold on to. There was something that they were doing right that pleased God. And, you know, even though these things he says are about to die, he says, strengthen those things. Go out with a bang. He says, you know what? These things that you have that are good, keep doing those things. Run faster with these things. Run harder with these things. Burn brighter with these things. You know, he's saying these things. And, he, and you know, keep that pace. You know, that pace that, you, that we're running in, he says, keep that pace going until you have no more breath, until you die. He says to these people, and then it says, For I have not found your works perfect before God. Now I'm going to do something daring right now. I'm going to quote out of the ESV. Yeah, the mystery. <laughs> it explained it, but just to side note, the NASB does equal service to this verse. You know, as I was tripping out, I was like, you know, it says that your works. You know, for I have not found your works perfect before God. In the ESV, it says, Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. NASB, For I have not found your works complete in the sight of... Uh, I'm sorry. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So in this church, you know, he says to strengthen the things that are about to die. But it was the things that they weren't complete yet. It's funny that God still had something different for them to do. God had something that would wake them up. God had something that would, that would renew their spirits. God had something for them that would refresh a, a new movement just to see a couple more people saved. And he says, you know, wake up and see, you know, 
the new work that I want you to do. He says, wake up and see the things that you haven't completed yet. The works that I still need you to complete. He says, wake up. You know, and he says, come, labor with me. Come, you who want to be used, you who are available. He says, come, just come. Let us do this together, me and you. A pastor once put it one day. He goes, dude, my son loves mowing the lawn with me. You know, and, and you know, I can't let him do it by himself. Because mowing the lawn, you have to go straight, you know, to make it look all pretty and you see the lines and stuff, you know. So he's, he's, he's like, I have, to, I have to hold on too, you know. And he's a little four-year-old Grom and he's, you know, pushing, you know, with all his might and, and trying to make the line straight. But his dad's guiding him. And, you know, without his dad, he can't do the work. Without his dad, he can't do it right. And just like that, for us Christians, when we do a work, if we do it without our dad, if we do it without our father who is in heaven, it's not going to be right. Because it's what? It's our work. We've deemed it ours and we're going to say what? At the end? Oh, we're going to say, oh, praise the Lord. It's so good. And then we go home and we're like, dude, that was all me. I did it. I wasn't led by the Spirit. I did it. This is my work. And this is what the pastors of this church were doing. You know, when God was like, come labor with me, come, let me guide you. Let me do this thing. He says, call Jeremiah 33, 3 is what call unto me that I may show you great and mighty things which you do not know. God wanted to show them these things. God wanted to show them this new work he wanted to do. But these people were just like, some of them were just not having it. They were doing the basics and God had more for them. But dude, their works... They didn't want to complete them. They wanted to quit. They wanted to quit on God. When God had a new thing for them to do, they wanted to quit. Verse 3. Remember, therefore, how you received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come upon you. This word, you know, he says, remember, remember the water that you drank that, that, that made you not thirst. Remember the food, the, the bread that I gave you that quenched your hunger and you, you didn't, you weren't hungry anymore. Remember when you, when I communed with you, when I called you out, when, and, and you were in the miry clay and I called you out and I saved you. Remember that. Remember how you called out to me and my ear was not um, dull that it could not hear you. Remember when, when you were drowning and my arm was not short that it couldn't save you. And these people were just like, they, they didn't remember. They didn't recall the joy of their salvation. And for us, dude, do we recall that day when we were sharing our testimonies? We have to recall that day because we're going and we're sinning and we're investing in sin. And all of a sudden what happens? Boom. There was a climax. There was a point where we had enough. And we have to mention that. Our testimony is nothing. It's worthless. Without that day when Jesus decided to pull us out of our sin and show us how great his mercy, how great of grace, how great a salvation we have in him. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, For this reason, Paul was saying that we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as a word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. You know, th to recall that day. And then he says, hold fast to those things. Hold fast to, dude, 
when I got saved, man, I wanted, I wish I could go back and just relive that first week I got saved. And just over and over, just like, you know, on repeat, just boom, 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 boom. Just so on fire. I was so on fire. Like, crazy on fire. I wanted to tell everybody. I wasn't ashamed of the gospel. And now, like, I'm ashamed of it a little bit. Sometimes I feel, you know, like, God, you don't want to touch their lives. God, they're so far, they're so far off. They come at me and they're mocking me and scoffing me about you. Like, what am I going to say to them? You know, and he says, just come, just call unto me, pray. And I'm going to show you how you are going to work in these people's lives. At work, here, here, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you to reach the lost. I'm going to show you to reach the people that are hurting, that are fearful, that don't know me. I'm going to show you if you would just call on to me. As he says, repent. He says, I'm still here. My arms are still open. I'm still waiting for you, prodigal, to come back. Like that song, bring me to the cross where we first met. Dude, Lord, just keep me at the cross. That's what my prayer is. Because there is, dude, that's where I first met the Lord. At that foot of the cross is where I first learned of all the things he had done for me. And if I would just keep those things, if I would just hold, hold fast to those things, you know, I would, I would have that joy and I would want to share with people. You know, it says, but if you don't watch, if you don't hold fast to these things, if we don't remember, if we don't turn back from our evil ways, I will come upon you when you least expect it. A thief, if, if, you know, if you know a thief is coming, he's not a thief. He's done. You're not going to let him in. You know, you'll know, you're going to know where he's coming from. You're going to know the time of hour he's going to be there. And you're not going to let him in. But Jesus says, I'm going to come to you as a thief in the night. And he says, you know, I'm going to come to you when you least expect it. But I'm going to come in justice. If you are those who don't repent, if you are those who are not holding fast to, to, the, um, to the things of me, I'm going to come to you when you least expect it. And you're not going to be ready. You're going to be playing the harlot. You're going to be found with your hand in the cookie jar. You're going to be found guilty. Imagine, imagine like knowing the Lord and the one time you're like, oh, dude, I'm going to go out with my friends and I'm going to have a couple beers. And that's the night he comes back. I mean, not that having beer is, you know, bad, but you know, when you sin, it's a progression. It's not like you all of a sudden just be like, oh, there's the bong and now I'm hitting it. You know, it just came out of nowhere. God help me. No. It's a progression. You start thinking about it in the daytime. When you wake up, you're like, oh, wait a second. I'm going to that party tonight. Oh, yeah, I know there's going to be this, this, and that. Oh, cool. There's, oh, keg? Yeah. Oh, all right. Cool. Yeah, I'm still going. I'm still going. Yeah, I'm still going to go. And you're in you, the spirit is just fighting and saying, no, don't go. You're going to fall. And then you go, and then you fall. And then what happens? What happens is the Lord would come back just that one day. You know, and it's like us, some of us don't struggle with that stuff. But if we were just the one time we wanted to sin, the one time we were so susceptible just to just to, you know, put our hand in the cookie jar and the Lord came back, that would suck. That. Oh, my gosh. Like, imagine just the one time and you're like, Lord, couldn't you just come back like an hour ago? Like an hour, you know, before I did this, you know, a couple minutes ago. 
but it's a progression. And these things that, you know, we try to fill ourselves with, the things that start hindering us. And, you know, they're, they're, I put it there as <laughs> they're of no value, kind of like iceberg lettuce. It has no dietary value. Like you could eat it and it's like, it's like eating air. It's like I'd rather eat air than eat iceberg lettuce. There's nothing. There's no flavor. There's just, you know, you put ranch and then there's like just fat, you know, <laughs> that's all it is. And it's just like, dude, it's these things don't please us. You know, this church, they had allowed themselves to dethrone God. They had allowed their selfish pride. They had allowed their agenda to dethrone God. And if they would just remember the day that they had tasted and seen that the Lord is good, they would have repented from their ways. If they would have held fast to those things, they would have repented from their way. And then verse 4, you have a few names talking about the people that are faithful. And even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments and will not and I will not blot out his name and from the book of life but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels don't trip out <laughs> I will not blot out his name let's start with the beginning of verse 4 to the pastor he says you know there's some of you in your congregation that have not defiled their garments there's some of you who have not bowed the knee you know Although most of the church had compromised, although most of the church have gone to the temple of Sibylle and partaken of the things there, although most of the church was focused on their economical status, there was some there who did not stain their garments. There were some there who kept themselves from those things, who remained faithful, who remained pure, and some that even had repented and been washed by the blood again. And he says, to these, I will grant the privilege of walking with me. To these, instead of, instead of clothing yourselves with the wrath that is to come, I'm going to clothe you in white. I'm going to clothe you in purity and holiness. And it's going to be good because you're my bride. I have to marry you and I'm not going to marry a harlot. Although you played the harlot, I'm going to wash you with my sins. And you're going to be a brand new creation. And you're going to be as pure as a virgin as pure as Mary when she gave birth to my son. And he goes and he's just like, I want you to walk with me. Think about it. To these people that were like, that they, imagine what they were holding on to. Imagine like all these, 98% of their church was in sin, quote unquote. You know, there was a few, even in Sardis, the Lord says, this city that was just destined for ruins. You know, there's a few of you that have not defiled yourselves. You know, you've seen and you've heard the nature of God. You've seen and you've heard through prayer, through your devotions. You've stuck to the race. And he says that, you know, uh, although, you know, your works, I haven't finished with you yet. I have more for you to do. He's like, you still have not defiled your garments. And the funny thing is, the funny thing about this verse is it says, for they are worthy. The Lord calls his faithful worthy to walk with him. I tripped out when I heard this. 
Because, you know, when we as Christians, we're always like, Lord, you are worthy. Lord, to you be great, you know, the honor and praise and glory. But then he says, these people that remain faithful, he says to them that they are worthy to walk with him. Dude, how great a God we have that calls us worthy because we are faithful. You know, he wants to reward us for our faithfulness. He wants to reward us for our commitment to him. And the wages aren't monetary. They aren't for our glory. They aren't to give us a status, a title, you know, a reputation. You know, because we've seen that, that that status, that title, that reputation led to what? The true meaning of, you know, they're, they're dead. He says, I'm going to give you through this reward, I'm going to give you to know me. I'm going to give you the ability to know me and to walk with me. I'm going to give you the ability to, to enter the throne room of grace. I'm going to give you the ability to, even though, even though you've messed up, I want you to walk with me. I want you to go hand in hand with me. And it's not based on what you can do. It's not based on what I have entrusted to you. It's not based on your abilities. He says, um, it's, um, it's based on the work that I accomplished on the cross. Because I went to the cross, now you can walk with me. And you're going to be called worthy. And you're, you're worthy in my eyes. Because you have not defiled your garments. You know, we can call him daddy. We can just partake of the fullness of his glory. And, you know, as I read in Exodus, you know, that people, they couldn't see God because they would die. But yet, we are, we are given eternal life. And eternal life is forever in Jesus Christ. And when we see him, it's not like we're going to fall over his dead. We're just going to bow the knee and be like, yeah, Lord. You are who you said you were. You are as beautiful as you said you were. You are more attractive than anything on this earth. You are more attractive than anything I could have accomplished. Any degree, any you know, status, any economical um, value, you're, more, you're far more beautiful than that. Lord, I just want to bow right now. I just want to worship you right now. I can't even walk with you. You call me worthy, but dude, just imagine just our dad just wanting to walk with us. That's all he wants to do. He wants to just walk with us. They will walk with, the, the saints of this church will walk with him for they are worthy. Verse 5 and 6. You know, to those who um, would not defile themselves, he will not blot out their name from the book of life but he will confess their name before their father before his father and the angels since jesus has done the work since he's completed it all since he lives to make intercession for us now he's able to confess our name our worthless name to the father and call us worthy you know, this verse is a tough verse. I will blot his name out of the book of life. I will not blot out the faithful out of the book of life. Now, what people have caused division over this. People have started different churches because of this. You know, it's gnarly. This verse has caused, if there was one verse that's been taken out of context more, it's this verse. Because it states that 
you know, it's saying that I, Jesus is saying, I will not blot out his name from the book of life. He who overcomes shall be clothed in, in, in white garments, and I will not blot out his name. And we're going to tackle this. We have to. It's not like we could just stare away and I'm not going to read it or anything. But the thing is, if he, can, if he will not blot out their name, if he's choosing not to, then he's saying that he can. Do you realize that? He's saying that he can blot out their name. And some people have said, oh, you know, everybody, everybody that's born, you know, we see that every good and perfect gift is from the Lord. So everybody's name that's born, you know, is in this book of life. And the people that have neglected him and the people that have rejected him eternally have been blotted out. And that's one way of thinking it. And we have this Calvinistic point of view that once saved, always saved. We have other points of view, you know, faith, uh, works-based faith. You know, but us, like, you know, if we really think about it, once saved, always saved. Let's think about it. Does that give us the freedom to live a fruitless and, sin and sinful life? Okay, now, should we go unto all the nations? If, you know, God's going to save them in their timing. So, to, you know... Should we go or should we just let somebody else go? Now, let's think about the flip side. Should we base our salvation in our works? Shall, you know, we base our admittance into heaven through our abilities? Now, they go hand in hand, but to believe one is to deny the other. You can't believe in both of these. It's just illogical. The thing is, the real question is, do these doctrines give us freedom to trample on the blood of Jesus? Do these doctrines um, give Jesus glory, honor, and praise? Do we get to experience the fullness of Christ through these views? Do these things matter? If we would just forget all that right now, forget forget faith-based or works-based faith, Forget once saved, always saved. And if we would just right now just say, what are we doing with our gifts? What are we doing with the promises of Jesus? What are we doing with all that he's entrusted to us? Are we an active Christian or have we been sidelined by the sickness of sin and the doctrine of men? That's the question. Have we been, have we been silenced? Have we been confused how we've been jaded how we've been disqualified even think about it. do you feel disqualified do we feel like we can't serve the lord do we feel like we've gone so far that we can't serve the lord can can we just stop there because those are just lies from the pit of hell satan wants to numb us satan wants to think that we're disqualified the three things that he does is, first of all, he says, you know what? You can't obtain salvation. Jesus is not the way. The second thing Satan says is, okay, yeah, you've sa you're saved now, but you're still sinning. So is that, are you still saved? And then the, the third thing he does is he says, you know what? You're so, far in, you're so far in the deep end. Yeah, you once came and you experienced this emotional thing and you were singing Kumbaya and all this stuff. 
but now you're 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 so far from grace. You've you've steered so far away from the Lord. You can't be saved. You're disqualified. You can't partake of the Lord anymore. He just loves to plant those lies. He loves to do that. Why? Because it numbs us. It keeps us from from striving to know Jesus more. In the Old Testament, you know, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. I'm, I'm saying the Old Testament and then the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ begs for a response. It begs for us to either neglect him or accept him. And when we try to mix us, when we try to mix our works, when we try to mix um, just our abilities with his capabilities, it just totally jades, jades us. Is that a word? Jades? Yeah? A little bit? Maybe a Mexican. What? You know? We just, the thing is, we just need to keep in focus. We need to know and hold fast the things of the salvation. Of this thing that Jesus has done in our lives, we need to hold fast to that. Forget all these other doctrines. Forget trying to find out which version of the Bible is best and is interpreted best. Or, you know, dude, seriously, there's been division over the stupidest things. Think about the... Jesus is probably just laughing. Come on, man. Are you serious? You're seriously going to start another church because of one verse? I said it. What more do you want from me? I'm God. I can say whatever I want. You know, it's like if we would just hold on to the things of the salvation that we tasted, if we would just hold on to what Jesus has entrusted to us. You know, in Exodus 34, um, Moses, um, after breaking the two tablets, God wanted to restore the covenant again. He wanted to restore the covenant, and he wanted to rewrite the tablets. And um, one thing that God says to Moses is, You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven. Dude, that verse is like, it's like so short, and it's just like, boom. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven. Leaven, you know, representation. A little leaven leavens a whole lump. Representation of sin. It's like, dude, that's two different things. It's like oil and water. They'll separate. Whether you try to mix them and you could keep mixing and mixing and mixing, in the end, they're just going to separate. They have to separate. They don't go together. You know, so to us, we must never mix the completeness of the cross. We must never mix the victory that we have through the cross with our works. You know, it's like, dude, we don't have to accomplish that stuff. Jesus accomplished it. Why do? Why are we trying to put little on it and throw, throw a little cholula on it? You know, no. You know, we just must leave it alone and just be like, you know what, Lord, this is your work. You know, you've asked me to put my hand to the plow, and I'm just doing it. You're guiding it. You're guiding it. You're providing for it. You're doing it. You know, I, I don't want to steer away from you know, from what you have for me. I don't want to, I don't want to go this way. You know, I don't want to go back towards Egypt. I don't want to make a U-turn for Egypt. You know, I want to stay on course. You know, we must, we have to overcome the temptation to live our life on our own. We have to just stop listening to the lies of Satan, you know, telling us we're okay in our sin, 
telling us we're okay without Jesus, telling us we're far from grace. We've fallen way far off the end, off the deep end. We just need to stop. Can we just admit to that? We need to just stop. Stop listening to his lies and start living in the victory of Jesus. You know, he doesn't... God has so much more for us if we would just stop listening to that little voice that tells you you can't. You know, we need to accept the garments that God has for us. We really just need to accept those white garments and not want our own garments and our own works and our own, you know, our own clothes. We just need to accept what Jesus has for us. You know, all he wants to do is walk with us and clothe us in purity and clothe us in holiness and in righteousness because that's the clothes that you'll wear in heaven because now we've been clothed in him, in his righteousness because of his works. You know, we're now clothed in that. And let that be our goal, you know, like to this church, they, they had other goals. You know, they, they had a reputation, but they were dead. And, you know, we must present ourselves a living sacrifice. We must represent Jesus fully. We must represent him to, in, in his completeness, in the fullness of who he is. That's who we need to represent to this, to this world that's dying, to the people that are in fear, to the people that have been lied to. Be like, you know what, dude? I was lied to, too. And check it out. God brings all things to light. And, and even though Satan was lying to me, God showed himself even more to me that I would just stop listening to those lies. Dude, I love that. Because I was lied to. I felt disqualified, like I said. I was like, Lord, I'm over ministry. I don't want to be in ministry. Yeah, I helped plant a church for two years strong, and I was faithful unto you. But I'm over it. I'm over it. And why was I over it? Because I wanted what man could bring to my table. I wanted a contract. I wanted a title. I wanted a reputation. And then God says, if you're seeking that, you're just a blind man leading the blind. You're just as dead as the carved images of the Old Testament. And that's what God showed me. And once I just stopped just listening to those lies, dude, I was set free, man. Like, just, I was back at the cross where I first met him. I was back at the point where I knew I had started over. It's like I got saved again. I needed to because I had so much pride and so much guilt. I had, you know, pride and guilt are completely opposites. But I had them both. And they were just a weight. And it comes through, like, when we confessed our sins. When, when, in Nehemiah, when they confessed their sins. When we tell our, our, our testimony to people. Man, it's as, as little as it may be. If you have been saved for, you know, since you were five years old. Dude, that's still, that's a testimony of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ since you were five. It's a testimony of how faithful the Lord has been to you since that age. And to us who have a gnarly, you know, sometimes ridiculously gnarly, you know, uh, testimony, it's just a testimony of how big, how great our God is. 
but they're both of equal value. They're both of equal value. Like no sin is greater than another. No salvation is greater than another. So to us, let's just magnify the name of Jesus through just living it. You know, through not defiling our garments, through not listening to the lies of Satan. Let's just do it. There's no other. What else are we going to do? Are we going to build our own kingdom? What's that going to do? It's just going to perish. It's going to be just like Sardis is now, a village upon ruins. You know, the thing is, we need to just let his love be envied among the lost. Let his love be envied among, let them, let, show the love of Jesus so much that they want it, that they're jealous of the love that you have for God and the love that he showed you. Let's just do it. Let's glorify every, let's worship every fiber of his, of his being, every characteristic, the sevenfold of the spirit. Let's take part of all of it. Not, let's not leave one leaf unturned in the promises that he has for us. Amen? Should we? Lord, we just thank you, God, that it's not through our works. Lord, it's not through our abilities. Lord, it's not once saved, always saved. It's not works-based faith, Lord. Lord, it's just about you on the cross, Lord. It's about what you've done for us and the love that you've just given to us, showed to us on that cross. Just the fullness of grace and of mercy. Lord, just the things that you've shown us, the things that you've saved us from, Lord. Lord, you're so good to us. And Father, we just, we want to partake in your work. The work is still not complete. We haven't completed it yet. Just like the saints in Sardis, there's stuff that you want us to do. There's a new work that you want to do. And Lord, we just pray that we would be faithful unto it. Lord, that you would show us, show us this work. Lord, have us call unto you that you must show us great and mighty things that we do not know. Lord, we want to see you work. That's what this life is about, Lord. We just want to see you work. So, Lord, just do it. And just use us. We're available. Use us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You have snacks. <laughs> You already went to Stonefire, man? What'd you have? A salad? I had a salad. Salad. <laughs> salad.